This is the 90 Miles Podcast. I'm your host, Susanna Coley. Today we have a special episode for you. But first, this episode concludes the first season of 90 Miles Podcast. Our team has worked really hard over the last year to have you hear directly from Cubans on the island who are forging advancements in tech, culture, and the arts. And we're going to keep on doing that, picking back up later this year. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. On to today's interview. We're thrilled to be joined today by Sir Richard Branson of the Virgin Group and Rancel Ruana, CEO of Bahanda, an independent Cuban ride-hailing service with more than 34,000 registered users. What do the two have in common? More than you think. You'll have to listen to find out. Branson, one of the most successful entrepreneurs of our time, and Rancel, a leading figure in Cuba's startup tech community and running what is often called the Uber of Cuba. In today's interview, the duo will tackle the importance of people-to-people interactions, the internet, lessons learned from mistakes, and the curious story of flamingos in the British Virgin Islands. Here's my colleague, Brett Perlmutter, who moderates the discussion. Thanks very much to Susanna for that wonderful introduction. My name is Brett Perlmutter, and it's a great pleasure to be here with our illustrious guest, Sir Richard Branson of the Virgin Group, who is joining us from the Virgin Islands, and Cuban entrepreneur Rancel Ruana, who is the CEO of Bahanda, a Cuban ride-hailing service. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us, and um, it's lovely to see you again, Brett. I think the last time was in Cuba um, some some time ago, but uh, always good to see you, and very, very much looking forward to this conversation and learning more about entrepreneurism and Cuba. Thanks so much, Richard. Um, there's certainly a lot to talk about, and there's going to be a lot to unpack here. Um, maybe we could start with you. Richard, tell us, what is your relationship to Cuba, and how did you first become interested in the island? Well, um, many years ago, I visited Cuba with the idea that uh, maybe we could start Virgin Atlantic International Airline to Cuba. Um, It was at a time when there weren't any air flights in from America, and there were very few flights from anywhere um, to Cuba. Um, I loved the country. I loved the people. I thought it was somewhere that um, Virgin Atlantic should go to, and was delighted when we got permission to do so. Um, and we've been, you know, apart from a little bit of time through COVID, we've been f- flying there ever since. And as a result, I've got to know uh, the Cuban people. And, you know, we were um, a few months ago about to embark on um, uh, uh, on our new cruise company uh, traveling into Havana. Um, we were enormously excited about that. Um, I mean, it's just such a wonderful city for, uh, you know, people people to visit. And then, sadly, uh, Trump put paid to that. Um, but we're obviously hopeful that with, with the new Biden administration that sense will prevail and um, that, you know, that we will soon be able to uh, bring bring the cruise company uh, into Havana as well. And I've got other contacts. I mean, uh, Cuba was good enough to give us 40 flamingos for uh, the, the British Virgin Islands about 15 years ago. And they've now turned into 2,000 flamingos. And so I have the pleasure every morning of watching uh, vast flocks of flamingos fly past my house. And uh, they're, they're now nesting on Necker, they're nesting on Anagada, they're nesting on Tortola. 
um, enormously grateful to Cuba um, for uh, re repatriating flamingos to this part of the world. Uh, and even more recently, Cuba has been good enough to send doctors to um, the BVI. Um, well, fortunately, they didn't actually need doctors because they, you know, they'd um, managed to make sure that COVID didn't arrive in the BVI. Um, but you know, it's the kind of brave decision that uh, Cuba makes. You know, instead of sending in warriors to different parts of the world, they send in doctors, and that's something I have enormous respect for them for. And uh, and actually, I know that some people are talking about the doctors should have a Nobel Peace Prize, and and I'm definitely supportive of that. It's wonderful. I know you've been uh, such a supporter of Cuba uh, from doctors to wildlife and ecological uh, donations such as the flamingos, um, artists, scientists, and of course, entrepreneurs, which brings us to you, Rancel. So the two of you share an overlapping interest in both transportation and travel. Richard mentioned the cruise liners, which absolutely we should put a pin in and come back to. Um, but Rancel, tell us about your company, Bahanda, and what it does. Uh, thank you, Brett. Uh, so basically, Bahanda was the first ride-shaving app for Cuba that was available for both iPhone and Android and iOS. So uh, we launched in February 2019, only two months after the first internet service in Havana, Cuba. So it was a great experience, uh, but we de we needed to deal with a lot of, of you know of challenge. Um, we needed to show people how to work with the internet, not only with with our app, but with internet because uh, most of the drivers uh, before Bahanda, before the internet, they even have a cell phone to navigate to to the internet. Um, so it was in February to, of 2019. Uh, currently, we count for more than 30. 4,000 registered users, more than 400 drivers. Uh, we are close to get to the milestone of half a million of kilometers in completed trips. Uh, and I always try to, to make fun of it. Uh, so the first time that we reached the lane of Cuba, we say, so we have traveled the whole Cuba. Uh, the first time that we reached the ISS, we, we saw, uh, we told that we reached the ISS and we reached the moon and so on and so on. So, uh, we are close to half a million kilometers in completed trips. And the most, the most funny thing, I think, uh, is that the whole team is only my wife and me. So we don't have anyone else. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it, it, that's, that's how that's how great business is. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's and and perhaps from the garage and not from the living room. <laughs> but it, if you're lucky enough, if you're lucky enough to have a garage, yeah. But I, I didn't have a garage, no. but it, it was a really good history. Um, and my wife and me, we we work a, a lot for for taking Bahanda to to this point. Uh, currently, around ninety seven percent of our trip already with four or five stars, and we do all the customer support ourselves. So yeah, I mean, it has been a trip, but we are currently. Uh, doing it, um, we have plans for the futures and so on. Are there many entrepreneurs like you in Cuba? I think yes. I think that uh, I think that the last time that the, that it was like a flourishment of entrepreneurship in Cuba was with the cruisers. So people don't understand sometimes the importance of tourists uh, of exchange with the people and how this can bring like uh, a lot of good things to to the Cuban people. And I think that the second wave of 
entrepreneurship came with the with the cell phones, with the internet, with the 3G and 4G internet service. I I sometimes make a joke that I say that Cuba was the fastest country in go from 3G to 4G because in February <laughs> February 2019 we have 3G for the first time and a few months later we already have 4G. Uh, we we have seen a, uh, like a wave of new entrepreneurship trying to create. Are your government supportive of entrepreneurship? Uh, I, I, I'm going to say that uh, it have, uh, maybe have not been fully supportive, but actually it, it hasn't been in against it. So you have like this really great wave of people doing food delivery, uh, doing internet services of all kind, marketing uh, agencies. So I always say that internet is, is like the Pandora box. Once that you open it, there is no coming back from that. And you are going to create like a whole huge wave of new business, new ways to uh, to create value and services to into the society. You're, yeah, I'm sure that the, your people in your government will soon realize that it, it, you know, it is really you entrepreneurs that are really um, changing society for the better and um, making people's lives better. And, and the politicians are there, there to help you. Um, and, you know, if, if Cuba can continue to have people like you and your wife, Cuba will continue to develop in a really positive way. And, and, and it's already a lovely country to go to. But So folks like Richard have a long history of bringing people from the outside to Cuba. Uh, you mentioned that uh, during the cruise line era, call it, there was a big spike in entrepreneurship. Could you explain a little bit more, Rancel, about how folks like Richard, people from the outside who are curious about Cuba, could continue to help the entrepreneurial ecosystem and people like yourself? Yeah, I mean, in Cuba, you have like a, a really big, uh, you know, the, the educational system actually works well. So you have a lot of scientists, a lot of software engineering people. Uh, so you have all these people that is well prepared for doing all kind of tasks, but maybe we have like a lack of uh, entrepreneurship in the education. So this exchange with people from abroad, people that tell you about uh, business that already work outside of Cuba, uh, ways to do uh, certain things. And but the most important thing is not only that, but it's the tourists. You need people. You need to people that consume your services and. That huge wave that came with the first trips, with the first like Virgin uh, voyages. Uh, so this bring a lot of tourists into the Habana Vieja. So people needed to create services to to these people that were coming from abroad. Uh, you needed to create restaurants. You needed to create stay homes, uh, Airbnbs. Uh, so from my point of view. Once that you create all these services, you are going to continue to create new services for people that actually, for for example, I, I always talk about uh, maybe you are the owner of, of a restaurant, of a private restaurant, but you have employees and these employees are going to consume services from other people and so on and so on and so on. So you need this flow of people coming in and creating, uh, giving more life to the country and I think that we have a lot to show to the to the war, but we need also to learn a lot from the war. So from my point of view, the exchange between uh, foreign people and Cubans is one of the most important things uh, for the for develop the entrepreneurship and develop the country. So hypothetically, uh, if and when Virgin Voyage is, is able to call Havana port of call, one of the passengers could 
descend from the cruiser, use your app Bahanda and call a classic American car to tour Havana. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's going to have like classic car in 10 minutes. Uh, before Bahanda in Cuba, you needed to wait for a call like a company. So maybe it was around 30 minutes, 45 minutes, one hour to get a taxi. So it was uh, a really uh, complex problem. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the disappointments, uh, I, mean, I mean, the Biden administration have done a lot in a very short period of time, but I really hope that um, his administration moves quickly in getting Cuba opened up again. Um, the, the, you know, there's, there, the vast majority of generations of people who left Cuba, uh, in particular the young people, you know, want to see Cuba opened up. Uh, and once Cuba's opened up, you're going to see so many more entrepreneurs and, you know, so, so many more exciting companies launching. And and people are going to be able to go and visit. I mean, Cuba is an enormous country. It's the most beautiful country on on earth, almost. I mean, you just you you go into inland into Cuba, and um, it's just breathtaking. And yet, very few people do. So you know, so uh, you know, hopefully within the next year or so, um, uh, things will be will be back to normal, and we can start you know being all, all of us being involved together and spending time together and 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 helping you build build a great country. I hope so, Kosher. I also hope so. When it's interesting because when I think about the two of you, I see the summation of human potential. And I can't help but mention that just last month, the whole world tuned in to watch Virgin Galactic launch what was its third successful space flight, its first human space flight from Spaceport America in New Mexico. How could Cuba, which is so strong in the sciences, participate in that kind of innovation which is happening on a global level with others around the world. And, you know, and yet, you know, Cuba has been locked down for decades and decades and decades. And the way to bring Cuba back into the into the fold and um, encourage entrepreneurism, keep, you know, keep the best of, uh, of what Cuba is famous for, you know, d- you know, sending doctors overseas and uh, coming up with breakthrough medicine, des- medicine designs. Rancel, would you like to see uh, a Cuban or maybe even yourself one day venture to space? Actually, uh, Brett, that is one of my dreams. Actually, uh, when you told me about uh, this meeting with Richard, it's amazing because I am really fan of, of the space programs. Uh, I am really fan of the Beijing Galactic program. I, I see it like a, a huge advantage. I think that uh, the privates into, uh, going into the space is the future. I, I like to see these companies going uh, and take us, us, uh, taking all the, the humanity to, to the next level. Uh, I think that the, the future of humanity is not in the earth. I think it's a long term, but I think that we need to go to the space at some point. One day we look forward to getting you up there. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. And your wife, Francel. <laughs> she's, she's, she's not a big fan of, of airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I, I've, I've owned an airline company for 37 years and um, my, my wife is still terrified. <laughs> I try to explain it's the safest, you know, it's getting to the airport that's the dangerous bit. Once you're on the plane, you're completely safe. And, and uh, yeah, but I, we'll, we'll get there one day. Definitely. <laughs> so I have a ton of respect for entrepreneurs such as the two of you. Maybe you could both explain a little bit 
about how you decided to become entrepreneurs. For both of you, is it something you always knew you would do? How did you fall into it? Did you choose this path? Um, if you like, I'll, I'll head off first. I sort of stumbled into it. I was dyslexic at school. I didn't actually, you know, nobody knew the word dyslexic, so they just thought I was a bit stupid at school. Um, I hated the way we were being taught at school, uh, and I hated a very unjust war that was taking place, the Vietnamese War. So I decided um, to start a magazine um, to campaign against the war and to campaign for better education um, and to turn it into a national magazine for young people. And just before I launched it, the headmaster told me that um, I'd either have to leave school and run it or uh, stay at school and not run it. Um, uh, which was very foresighted, <laughs> foresighted of him. So anyway, I said, thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm off. So I left school at 15 and started the magazine. Um, and it was my education. I didn't think of myself as being an entrepreneur, but I had to make sure that at the end of, of every year, there was more money coming in from advertising than going out. Um, and, you know, for four years, got out and interviewed so many interesting people and you know, started an advisory center for young people. And that was a, a big part of my education as well. And um, so I think people in Cuba who are listening to this program, you know, what, what you need to think of is not how can I make a lot of money by becoming an entrepreneur? Um, keep your eyes open all the time. And if you see um, a gap in the market where, you know, things are not being done well by other people, uh, then jump in, uh, fill that gap. And if you do it better than it's been done by other people, um, you have a business. Awesome. Rancel, what was the gap in the market that you saw? Oh, definitely I saw a gap in the transportation sector. So I think that one of the important things is that Bahanda is not my first entrepreneurship project. Actually, I failed before and I failed bad. So uh, this is really important. I, I Show me an entrepreneur who hasn't failed and, and uh, I'll show you a liar. <laughs> I, have, I have your quote uh, sometimes in my wall screen. Yeah, definitely. You need you need to fail. You need to learn from your failure. Uh, and I failed really bad. Uh, I remember I went out uh, of the college and I wanted to do something. I really wanted. I actually, I, I was a teacher for my community. So I was trying to teach uh, how to program, how to code to people of my community. So I was a teacher for about a year. I was a taxi driver. I was uh, a manager in a restaurant. So I, I did a lot of things. Yeah, one my first entrepreneurship, my first adventure was uh, a company called Bremix. So I wanted to, it was in the 2016, 2015. Uh, so basically I wanted to create a startup, a project, a platform for Cuban freelancers, not only uh, programmers, but designers, uh, translators, and all these kind of services that I knew that the Cuban people are really well into it. Uh, so I created a, this beautiful platform, this uh, great platform. I, I spent almost three years <laughs> building that uh, and it was a, a, a huge failure. So basically we had like a lot of Cubans freelancers, but we failed to get one single client to hire a Cuban to the platform. And basically one of the biggest problems that we had was the online payments because of, of the US embargo uh, we actually, uh, we needed to do everything to Bitcoin. So I was one of the early adopters of Bitcoins in Cuba uh, in a project, in an entrepreneur, you know, in a company. So 
basically we failed with that. Uh, with Bahanda, I changed the whole thing. Uh, so basically with Bahanda, what we did was uh, trying to create, trying to launch a product as fast as possible, even if it's not perfect, but trying to bring it into the market and learn from the people actually what the people want once that we had the product. But I think that it was, I, I learned a lot. I learned more from my failure with Bramix than in, in the college. I think, I think most people um, uh, do do actually learn more from just getting out there and attempting to build businesses than learning. You know, it's very difficult to teach to teach that at a college. I think you know, if colleges are going to try to teach entrepreneurism. Uh, you know, they should have almost you know say to everybody there, you've got to start a business while you're learning to be an entrepreneur uh, at the college, and do the two two alongside each other because I think you know that's the best way of really you know, um, learning what's needed. Richard, have you had any formative failures? Plenty of things that haven't worked out, you know, and generally I think I have learned from them. So one of, one of the most noticeable was when we decided to see if we could knock Coca-Cola into second, second or third place in the world. Um, for about three years, we were out selling them and I was really getting quite cocky and thinking that the Virgin brand was going to be the number one brand in the world, because I think Coca-Cola most likely is the number one brand in the world. Um, and then uh, I made the mistake of uh, landing in Times Square with a Sherman tank and crushing um, <laughs> crushing a whole lot of Coca-Cola and Pepsi pe- Pepsi uh, uh, ca- cans and Coca-Cola was spraying everywhere. And then ter- turning the turret of the tank onto the Coca-Cola sign, uh, which we'd pyrotech up um, to make it look like we blew it up with, um, with the night before. Um, and Coke were not amused. And um, and the next day uh, in Atlanta, they uh, they got a DC-10. They filled it with money and squat teams. And they arrived in Europe where we were selling particularly well. And Virgin Cola just disappeared from all, our sh- all the shelves and, of Tesco's and, uh, and, and Sainsbury's and other places we were selling. Um, and I think what I learned from that was uh, if you are going to take on a big a big guy like we, we took on British Airways and and they did a they had a similar dirty tricks campaign against us if you are going to take on a big guy make sure you're better than them um, you know with Virgin Atlantic we were we were and are much better than them and therefore you know although they did everything they could to drive us out of business um, Virgin Atlantic survived and and has done apart from COVID um, it has done has done enormously well. Uh, and, and incredibly proud of it. And, you know, with, uh, on that occasion, we took British Airways to court and we won the largest libel damages in history. And it, it happened to be at, um, uh, at Christmas time. So we distributed it to all our staff equally and, and it became known as the British Airways Christmas bonus. Um, it was a, it was a fun day. <laughs> I like that moniker. Um, some, kind of common thread through uh, both of your stories is this notion of grit. And I'm thinking of an academic called Angela Duckworth, who studies grit, the psychology of grit. And um, Richard, I know you've advocated for taking massive action every day on an idea, like what you're describing. Also, Ronsell, like what you're describing, and that requires grit. So for both of you, how do you approach your day to day? What do you wake up thinking? Um, well, I'm always inquisitive. I'm always, I always love to love to learn about things I don't know. Um, uh, I love to try things new, which I suspect is why I'm a, you know, some, somewhat of a serial entrepreneur. Um, 
if I have a good idea, um, I have a notebook, I will write it down and I develop all my ideas in my notebooks. If I'm talking to people about uh, the idea, I'll take notes and I'll, I'll listen to them and I'll write things down and they'll know that you'll only remember maybe one or two things that, that, that are important. And I think, you know, I approach every day as an opportunity to do something new. I love what I do. Um, so um, uh, every day uh, is exciting and new. Um, every day is challenging. Uh, you know, I'm at, at an age, I suppose, where some people would say slow, slow up. But, you know, I, I feel it's the reverse. I think I've, I've had so much knowledge and learned so much in the 50 years I've been in business that um, I feel that um, yeah, um, there's so much more that we can still do over the next sort of 20, 25 years. And, and working with a wonderful team of people will try, try to do so much more. A lot of it is to do with just trying to come up with ways of sorting out the problems of the world. Um, there's a n wonderful new film called Planetary Boundaries, which has just gone up on Netflix, which I really feel everybody should see. Um, and then everybody should address their business uh, model to try to help the world stay within the planetary boundaries that this film talks about. And if you get into a position of influence, then you've got to use that position of influence to try to um, try to try to uh, you know start getting our planetary boundaries uh, you know back into into perspective so that uh, our grandchildren and great grandchildren can have this the, the beautiful beautiful world that we've we've actually lived in. Rancel, what is your mindset? Well, my mindset is that uh, if you love what you are working in, you are not going to work a single day of your life. So basically, work in what you are passionate about. Uh, I was really passionate about the transportation sector in Cuba. Uh, I, re I remember that I was speaking with a lot of friends and the common idea was that uh, you are crazy, you are not going to get it. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't care. I, I'm going to try. If I fail, I'm going to learn a lot. So every single day, almost every single day, I, I wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning uh, because I, I like to, to make the most of the day. And I try to tackle at least one problem, at least one thing of my business that I need to improve. And that is the idea. I mean, uh, it was a moment that we were working from Monday to Monday, almost 16 hours a day because we were doing everything by ourselves. Uh, after that, I started to automatize a lot of, of the tasks that we were doing manually. But we were working like a lot, but we didn't even feel that because we were doing something that we were passionate about. Uh, so I, I, I think that the most important thing is that you can do something just for earning money. You need to do something because you want to solve a problem. You want to, to create something that is going to solve people's problem. So that, that is my idea. That is my mindset. Very well said. Just as a matter of interest, Ransel, uh, um do you, is, is your company a limited company, just like uh, international companies? Are you, are you able to trade as a 100% owner of a limited company in Cuba? In Cuba, you don't have private companies so far. Recently, I was able to incorporate somehow the company outside of Cuba. Uh, that is one of the reasons that I travel abroad. Because sometimes for uh, online payments, and, and I was telling Brad, uh, for example, we, we use like a lot of internet services that sometimes are really uh, difficult to get access to because we are Cubans. 
and only because we are Cubans and we have the U.S. embargo above our head is really complicated. Of course, we have difficulties in, in our country because we can't have like a fully private company with ownership and, uh, and stakeholders. But one of the funny things Cuba is uh, trying to find alternative and trying to find solutions. So if I can define the Cuban entrepreneurships in one word, it will be resourceful. Uh, so we need to be really resourceful. We need to to, to not only worry about the, the problem that we are trying to solve, but how do we go to all these obstacles that we have ahead of us? Rancel, for you, building on Cuba's success, what should the future of Cuba look like? I think that we have uh, we have the internet now, so you are gonna get like a lot of services. So one of the first things is always going to be like replicate uh, business models that already work outside of Cuba, but with a Cuban recipe. So basically, there is there is always going to be like the first idea. Uh, but also, I think that uh, you need to. You need to produce. You need uh, you need to have like privates producing uh, not only food but producing uh, t-shirts, producing uh, every every single t- every single kind of objects. So that is a really important thing. And I think that uh, right now there is, uh, the government have taken some steps in that uh, in that path. Uh, so I think that in the in the near future there are going to be like a flourishment of new entrepreneurs, but it's going to be more in production, you know. And all, all, of course, you are going to have also this uh, wave of entrepreneurs in the internet service side that are going to want to create services not only for Cuba but also for outside countries. So yeah, that is my vision for the future of Cuba. I think that. You, you need the entrepreneurs. You need people that build things. You need people that take risk that maybe you as a government can take uh, to create a service, to create a, a new thing in a better way. And you need people that fail. So you need to have 100 people working on the same idea and you need one of, of them to succeed, you know. Uh, but because of this... Uh, I think that you create like this knowledge, that this knowledge in the community. So people, the next time, are going to do better. But people need to fail first. It's, it's really difficult to create something amazing on the first time. Uh, when you read the history of most of the entrepreneurs in the world, uh, you only read about the success. But I think that maybe you need to focus more on what they failed before, mm-hmm. you know? So... But what if, if if somebody fails financially in Cuba and owes people money? You are, um, you are 100% personally with your assets uh, for that, so you can live. So it sounds like, unfortunately, you would be 100% personally liable, which is a huge deterrent to taking on risk. So if I could ask you both one more question before we sign off. We've identified, you know, certain layers of a problem, certainly on the U.S. side, there could be actions taken to help folks like Richard bring people to Cuba to interact with the entrepreneurs. On the Cuban government side, it sounds like we've identified that limited liability companies could be a way uh, to allow people to take risk and be entrepreneurs and build on what Rancel is talking about, which is their resourcefulness. And we've seen the talents of Cuban people and their doctors, their artists, uh, their entrepreneurs. Um, so if I could ask you both personally, uh, what is next for you? Uh, Rancel, maybe you want to go first and then Richard. 
Okay, uh, so basically my future for Bahanda right now, uh, I'm really passionate about the concept. It's a super app concept. So basically, uh, you don't see this much in the uh, in the Occident. You don't see this. Uh, you don't see this in the US, UK, or most of the European country. But you see it in Asia and some of the Middle East uh, countries. So you you have one app that solve like a lot of problems. So you have one app that do ride hailing so you can grab a taxi from the app or you can pay your bills or you can uh, do uh, food delivery or service on demand if you need a carpenter or a plumber or something for your house. You can get it on the same on the same app. So basically, that is my vision of the future for uh, for Bahanda, but not only for Cuba, but also for the Caribbean. I, th- I think that the Caribbean as a, as a region is really underserved in internet services. Uh, most of the countries in the Caribbean don't even have uh, ride-hailing apps for a start with, and don't even have uh, food delivery systems. So I think that is my vision of the future for Bahanda. That is what I will really like to see in the future. I was, I, I have really solid plans to get into it at some point. But yeah, that is the idea. So a Cuban-born super app that can scale and deliver services across the Caribbean. Yeah, definitely. And how about you, Richard? I've loved, loved talking to Ransel. Uh, lo- love learning from you um, and look forward to meeting you in Cuba the next time I'm there. Um, and you could maybe you could show me around to some places I, I, I haven't been um, in one of your beautiful, in one of your <laughs> lovely old cars. Um, look, I mean, I've, I've reached the age where I know that, you know, I've got, if I'm lucky, 20, 20 or so more years. Uh, we've built up a, a strong brand um, over the last 50 years through, um, yeah, through a bit of grit and hard work and a bit of luck. Now, m- most of my attention is trying to make sure that that in 20 years' time, that the world as we know it, uh, we, we've not destroyed it. And so we have a, a lot of our energy and time going into our foundations, um, setting up organizations like the Elders, which we set up with Mandela and um, you know President Carter and uh, Kofi Annan and others. Uh, to to go in and tackle con- conflict resolution issues. Um, I mean, if um, and then we have a business version of that, the B team, which, which does similar similar work. Um, and then we also have other organisations when we see something is is wrong um, uh, or unjust. Um, you know, like capital punishment in America, we believe is, is is we believe that to be wrong. So we're campaigning to get it abolished. Uh, drug reform, you know, you know, where the prisons are being full of people for taking drugs. Um, we believe that that needs to be reformed and, and, and drugs should be treated as a health problem, not a criminal problem. Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll, look at, we'll look at injustices in the world and we'll spend time and energy trying to address them and using the resources that, uh, that we've got from our businesses. Well, thank you both so much for the vision, the inspiration, the guidance, the mentorship. This has been really, really wonderful, exciting, and it's a bright future uh, knowing that uh, we share the planet with uh, people like the two of you. So thank you both so, so much. And uh, thank you. Thank you to uh, for, for making all this possible. It's, it was great seeing, being at the birth of Google in Cuba a few years ago and to, to Ransel and all other Uh, entrepreneurs in Cuba, um, very, very best to you. Um, And to Cuba itself, very, very best to you and all the people of Cuba. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Brett. Uh, Thank you for this opportunity. It was really great to know you. So 
I hope to see you again. And Brett, thank you for inviting me to this talk. I was really uh, waiting for it. So thank you. Thank you both. Thanks to you both. It was really Richard and let's all hang out soon in Havana. <laughs> yes, sir. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thanks. That was Sir Richard Branson in discussion with Rancel Ruana, moderated by Brett Perlmutter. That's it for this season. The 90 Miles team is made up of Cubans and Americans in the U.S. and Cuba. And we're all committed to continue to highlight the creativity and ingenuity of Cuba's greatest asset, its 11.5 million citizens. Until next season, if there's something you want to hear about, drop us a note on social media. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're listening in Cuba, you can find us on Cuba Pod. From all of us at 90 Miles, thanks for listening.